vendors and non-vendors alike. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. And this is Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. And I want to say thank you for being the low bass tones of this podcast because I went so shrill just now. I was like, non-vendors alike! Like, I don't know what that was. That was new. That was totally new. <laughs> I think I'm trying to show off. I'm excited. We're both excited. Because we, we have one of our sort of mentors here, you and I both having come into voiceover. Definitely a mentor. As, yeah, as camera actors, on-camera actors. I feel like almost everything I learned about voiceover, I learned from this person. Please welcome a celebrity in her own right, and deservedly so. Andrea Romano, who worked on both Avatar and Korra, as well as a jillion other shows as the voice director. And probably one of the most famous voice directors in the game. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Thanks, you guys. I'm honored. And I have to say at this very beginning, because I always try to bone up on anything I'm going to be speaking about, that the homework of watching the first season of Avatar The Last Airbender was the most pleasant homework ever. I loved my job when I was doing it, and I love having a chance to go back and look at it again now. What a fantastic show we made with Avatar. Both of them. Fantastic. Well, that makes me feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. And I think I, I said to both of you guys as we finished our individual series was that I was as proud to work on these series as anything else I did in my entire career. So happy to have my name connected with it because such quality work, such beautiful animation, such epic storytelling, but at the same time, very personal and intimate. I think Mike and Brian did such a crazy good job of putting together something that was appropriate for families to watch together, for somebody looking for adventure, somebody looking for romance, somebody looking for family stories. All of those things were contained in Avatar The Last Airbender. Couldn't agree more. It is great to hear you say that because I know you know, we, <laughs> you and I have joked around in the past, and I'm sure with Dante as well, that your job was not an easy one. And just in terms of the career that you had, and I remember somewhere in the middle of recording Cora, I was hanging out with you and I was like, I mean, you're just so great at this. It makes me want to become, I want to become a, like a VO director. And you're like, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Did I <see> that? <laughs> And I was like, why? And you were like, do you like getting up five in the morning and going through everything? <laughs> well, the truth of it is what we would all do together was kind of, I always uh, compared prepping a show to making a cake and recording the show as eating the cake. But the making of the cake is really hard. It's it, There's so much minutia that I paid attention to because... I have such respect for you guys as actors that I wanted to make sure you had everything you needed and that you felt like you were in an environment where you could do your best work and, you know, stretch and explore and go farther than you normally did. And, um, and then by the time we got to the recording, all that work had been done. So it was much more the pleasurable experience. That said, Janet, I would not really ever suggest against you choosing to voice direct. It's a, brilliant career. It's a wonderful career. There's a lot to be said for having been a performer first and then directing. You understand a a lot about what an actor goes through, which makes you friend to the actor. And that's always good. 
Well, this has taken a wild shift. I could quit everything <laughs> I'm doing right now and go back to my original dream in 2013 of becoming Andrea wow. Romano. Wow. <laughs> Dante, do you have early memories of working with Andrea when you came in and you were like, oh, here I go, going to do some VO. What's this going to be like? I mean, of course. I mean, when I started doing Avatar, pretty early in, in my voiceover kind of experience, and I for one, did not know exactly who Andrea was either because I was new in the whole uh, voice acting world. And for even people out there that don't understand the legend that we talk to now that we go to cons and your name comes up so many times <laughs> because Andrea Romano has worked on things, I mean, I don't know, from Pinky and the Brain to the Batman series to, uh, I mean, nominated for Emmys and so many you know, I, I would I would say thousands and thousands of shows and some of the cl- most classic shows out there. But kind of just falling into this particular show as an on-camera actor and being able to to do this guy Zuko, I was just in there. You know, Andre, you know me. I'm just in there acting like there's a camera in the room. That's it. The thing is about voiceover acting, and people, of course, ask that. I'm sure of you guys as much as they ask it of me. Is what does it take to be a voice actor? Number one always is good acting. Yeah. Good acting. So I knew because of your work that you were a good actor. I was aware of your work. And so that was already confident. I can teach voiceover technique. I can teach microphone technique. I can teach you how not to pop, how not to get wind on the microphone, not to get too close, all that. I can teach that in a four-hour session. I cannot teach anybody how to act in a four-hour session. So you guys came to the game already, you know, prepped and pumped and ready to go. All I had to do was sort of maneuver you around where I needed you to go. But both of you, on both of your series, your willingness to learn from those around you who had done it, you don't need to watch D. Baker too long to get it. You just go, oh, it's confidence, it's knowing what you're doing, and it's prep and and, and good acting. And so... I watched you guys learn from him and from everybody else on the show that did have experience. But, oh, yeah. you know, you think about it. May Whitman at the time was like a young veteran. She knew exactly right. what she was doing. Right. She had worked <laughs> with me already a couple of times. I know totally. I'm so lucky. I'm so glad to have worked with her as many times as I have. And she's directing now, I hear, on camera as well. That's so amazing. Cool. I know. I'm so happy for her. The whole experience of the voice recording once you guys were in the room with me a big part of my job was to make sure that it was fun which it was yes we had work to do yes we had to get it done in a limited amount of time and often that included original record pickup lines adr whatever we could get done in that session that we had you for so a lot of organization ahead of time but i needed you guys to feel like i would never let your voice go out there sounding bad Do you know what I mean? I would never put you in that position. I had no reason to let anything embarrass you guys or or be uncomfortable for you. And one of the things I would often say, you guys I'm sure will remember, is after we were finished, if I beat you up on a line, I just said again and again and again. And finally, when I got what I needed, I would say to you guys, is there something I didn't let you do? that you wanted to do that's going to bug you as you're driving home and go, I wanted to do one more take my way. Because very often after that, and I say beating up, but it's not really beating up, but making an actor do a line over and over and over again, something clicks in the actor's mind. And when they know that I have what I need, this next one is just gravy. Just do it. Doesn't matter. It releases the actor's pressure and they get a brilliant take. That's part my idea, part their idea, part organic, what happened right in the moment. And that's those are the moments you wish for, those organic, natural moments that actors give you. 
For sure. But you're also hurting cats. I mean, like, you're, you oh, are, God, yes. like, you need to make sure everyone's having fun, but voiceovers are, voiceover actors are notorious for running and too having much too much fun, fun and going Absolutely. off the rails and doing different impressions. It's like Christopher Walken was not cast in right. this show. He's not in this did not need right. to do your Christopher uh-huh. Walken. That's right. And you bring up a really good point, which was, as you recall, we had enormous casts in the show, really large casts of people. And the Nickelodeon studio didn't hold more than five or six actors at a time. So we would rehearse the whole thing with as much of the cast as we could get together at a big conference table in some conference room somewhere. And then I would take small groups of actors in. And I think that helped keep actors a little bit more focused because they knew that somebody else was waiting in the next room or that they had just been waiting in the next room. And there was a little bit more respect for that for that reason. But um, you're right, voiceover actors, they love to voice off. They just do. They just oh, be yeah. like, oh, my God, you're the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean, and Kevin Michael Richardson, Gray DeLisle. Oh, you God, know, so many people in the booth that are being naughty voice actors in and the booth hilarious. And hilarious. You don't want and to stop hilarious. them. No. I know. It's so fun. That's a lot. That's a that's a really fine line to walk. Um you Indeed. talked about you Andrea, you talked about sort of where we were when we came into the game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um can you talk a little bit about where you were when you came into the Avatar game? What you, some of the sure. stuff you worked on and kind of how you got into and cast yeah. directing? I I started as an actress. I I grew up on Eastern Long Island, one of eight kids, Italian Jewish family. I always joke that has a lot of lust and guilt combined. (laughs) Um, And I think because I was in the middle, kind of, and there was that desire to get attention, I was loud and vivacious and, you know, had no problem trying to get attention, which as you speak of herding cats, that's the same thing in a recording session is trying to get attention. Um, I, I, I was, when I left New York after college, after uh, undergraduate and some credits toward a graduate degree, um, it was 1979, I moved to Los Angeles because I couldn't bear the East Coast cold anymore. And I couldn't bear the competition of trying to be an actress in New York City. Just trying to get a slice of pizza at lunchtime was a major competition. Yeah, Getting a seat yeah. on the subway was a major competition. Trying to get a role in a play was crazy competition. Brutal. And so I left there in 79 and moved to San Diego, where no one told me there was no acting work. A friend of mine who I'd gone to Fredonia with, and he said, a voiceover agent in Los Angeles is looking for a temp for a few weeks. Do you want to come up and interview for the job? Very long story short, I became a temp at the Abrams Rubeloff Agency and then became a franchise agent um, about two or three months after I was there I just decided wow. I liked the other side I did yeah. I liked the I knew I understood actors problems but I also understood the business side you were a 10 percenter oh my goodness I was at Abrams Rubeloff for about two years and then I went to special artists where I started their voiceover department they had no voiceover department at all and all their clients were leaving because they wanted voiceover activity so they began a voiceover department so there I had clients like Martin Sheen and James Coburn and uh, wow. you know lots of celebrity clients and, and this is the 80s of, this is the, this that's the 80s. right that's right and I was only there for about a year when Hanna-Barbera asked me if I wanted to come cast for them, which to me was the dream job. Uh, and I make yeah. the joke about the, when the phone call came in and said, would you like to come in tomorrow? I, I like left my office instantly. The phone was left spinning in the air <laughs> as I headed to Hanna-Barbera to be the first person to interview for that job. And they hired me practically on the spot. And I worked with the gorgeous 
Gordon Hunt, um, and this would be 84, 1984, and I was wow. there until 89. So Smurfs and Snorks and so Snorks. many cartoons. It was really a major, it was a time when they, um, Muppet Babies yes. was a huge success. Yeah. And so the other studios, as they want to do, created Popeye and Son. Pink Panther and Son, mm. a pup names all the young versions mm-hmm. of the cartoons and stuff. <laughs> and it was great fun. I, I met wonderful actors, Scott Menville. I met him when he was like 10 years old. He was my Robin on um, Teen Titans for the last 15 wow. years or something has been. But I met them when they were children. But Andrea, weren't you also working on DuckTales around then? While at Hanna-Barbera, on staff as their casting director, somebody reached out to me from the brand new created Disney TV animation saying, we're going to create a show called DuckTales. Can you get the okay to come and direct it? We're going we're gonna to have five people direct the first five episodes and whoever we like the most will get the other 60 episodes. So this was a time, you guys, wow. when cartoons were made in 13 and 26 episode buys. The idea of doing 65 episodes in one chunk was yeah. buy a car, buy a yeah. house, you know what buy I mean? You house. Think sure. Toward the future, exactly. Um, and so somebody else did the first episode. I don't know who it was. I did the second one and they canceled all the other directors and hired ah. me. It was so cool. Wow. And so I did 64 episodes. Actually, we made more of uh, DuckTales, which was fantastic. A few of my friends from Hanna-Barbera left and formed Warner Brothers TV animation. So now we're talking 1989 or so. So I took that huge risk of leaving a, a salaried, vacationed, wow. sick day gig to be a freelance voice director. But the first show I was going to do was called Steven Spielberg Presents Tiny Toon Adventures. So there's a name there that kind of (laughs) rang a bell. And before I forget, Dante, I don't think I ever had the chance to tell you this. We did, we won an Emmy um, early on in our days of Tiny Toon Adventures and brought it to Steven on the set of Hook. So I might have actually met you. Or seen you long As a before young kid. you and I actually met. You were a kid. You were a kid, that kid, kid. That is so wild. But we did Tiny Toon Adventures and then Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and then Batman the Animated Series and Justice League and Teen Titans. And then as I was doing all this work for Warner Brothers, I was freelance. So I was available for all the other outside shows. So Disney would reach out to me and uh, Nickelodeon reached out to me and I wanted very much to work for them. They were one of the few studios that when you walked into their building, It looked like an animation studio. It was colors and shapes and designs and people were decorating their cubicles and it was wild and wonderful and I love that. And so I did about five pilots for them from the get-go and two or three of them got picked up. One of them was Avatar. And the whole cast was wonderful. They did such a beautiful job of finding crazy, talented people who happened to be available at the time that fit the category of epic storytelling, but so personal. Do you know what I mean? There were these private, personal, individual Mm. stories that took place on this epic journey. That is not an overstatement. I would say arguably the most epic journey that either of us have ever worked on, right, Dee? Right. It was seriously an experience of a lifetime. All right, let's take a quick break and get back into more Avatar. Yep, let's take a break. Everyone, we'll be right back. So at the beginning, okay, we you know, early in the conversation, you know, Janice said, you know, a cast director, because for people listening to the podcast, 
we say cast director because there's a there's a director that directs the cast and the performances, and there's a director that's directing the animation. Good point. And and that whole so for people listening to understand, like you know, Mike and Brian are are, are you know the executive producers and the creators of the show, so they're overseeing both sides of the the cast performing, but also the artists and whatnot that are drawing the characters and expressions of the performance we're doing. When you first read this, right, Nickelodeon, this epic at you know Asian inspired anime inspired adventure, and then these two guys. Mike and young guys, Mike and Brian, and of course you, you're you're a pretty you're a vet at this time that has worked on so many massive projects throughout <laughs> your career thus far. Uh, and like you said, you did you know you did a handful of pilots for for Nickelodeon during this period. What was your initial kind of feeling about Avatar specific? Was it anything special or just something that happened? Or and also these two young guys, like what was your point of view on these guys? I wanted to work with them. They. They weren't the type of people, because I have worked with a lot of young producers and love uh, and a lot of creators of series. And they, some of them are very articulate and able to express exactly what they're trying to get across. And some are not. These guys were really articulate. And the fact that, and you guys know this certainly, they were hands on everything. Everything. They, you know, uh, um, Brian would do any physical. Uh, animation. They would videotape him to send that overseas so that it was very specific and they would get it right. If there was a pronunciation for a word, they always had it for me. They knew what it was. Uh, and they could tell me what was going to happen so that if there was some foreshadowing that we wanted to lay in early on, I, I, I wanted to, to find that some subtle way to include that. And you know, with these kids, um, there's so many sweet things. Like, did we ever know that the cabbage merchant was going to have his own little following? Because it's just the silliest thing. You know, somebody wrecks his cabbages and he screams, my cabbages. And yes. then the fans start saying, where's the cabbage merchant? And he shows up three episodes later and five episodes later. And he even shows up in Cora, didn't he? I think we did bring him over yeah. to Cora. But um, you never know. You have to get the response from the audience as to what they like. But when I met these guys and I read the pilot, I... I wanted the job. I really did. And, you know, I'm always prepared to not get the job. I'm always prepared to be replaced, just like actors are. You know, I, I having been an actor first, I know that feeling. And I'm like, I nothing is guaranteed. All kinds of talented people get replaced. But they didn't replace me. They kept me on. And, um, and I got to work with some of the most remarkable actors ever. And, and I wanted to tell you a quick casting story because as i said i didn't do the main casting for the show but i uh, um having been an agent when one of your actors comes in town that's kind of well known and as you know a lot of celebrities are doing voiceover these days when somebody recognizable says to their agent i want to do voiceover please for animation that agent calls every casting director in every studio in town and says my client wants to come in and play and they're going to be in town for the next six months they're doing a play or whatever and when I get, got the call that Jason Isaacs was in town and wanted to play, I, I, I just, uh, we have to find something for him. Okay, Andrea, you are scooping our own podcast right now because we had thought that Mike and Brian were looking for a Jason Isaacs type and that you guys got him. Now it turns out that Jason Isaacs was available and fit perfectly into this role that they had, which is gorgeous. Absolutely. And so I used him in three or four other things that I was working on, but the timing worked out just 
perfectly for him to be a part of the first 20 episodes of this show. And he played this fabulous villain. And he is the salt of the earth guy. Such a nice human being. He's like Clancy Brown. You know, one of those oh, guys yeah, that if you didn't know them, you'd be terrified or of Steve them. Steve Bloom. He's so exactly. good at playing scary. Steve, yes. you're like, you're a teddy bear. Yeah. <laughs> but let's talk just for a second, you guys, about Dee Baker. The oh, Bradley Baker. Come on. We have start. these wonderful characters in this series the, that are um, uh, combination uh, animals. There was one duck character within the first 20 episodes that was like a duck. Turtle swan, duck. Or, what oh, was that, it? oh, that one. Um, I know the turtle ducks for sure, but there was a different it one. It might have been a turtle duck. I'm not sure, but it was just brilliant. The sound that Dee came up with it. And, and what Dee used to do was um, after the first couple of episodes, we didn't bring him in for the initial record, unless he was playing a human who was speaking, we would send him the finished, not the finished, but the semi-final animation, let him look at it. And then when we did ADR, we would bring him in. And what was so stunning about that, and I'm sure you guys got a chance to watch him do this, is he would really do his homework. So when the cue was played for him at the session, well, I would just say, roll, roll on it. Don't, don't wait. Don't, don't let it be a rehearsal. Record the rehearsal. And he would nail it in the first take. And it may be 30 seconds of Appa flying and swooping and coming in and sniffing and eating and then flying away, all of which needed acting, right? Voice acting in that character voice. And he would nail it on the first take. He was so wonderful to watch. And I, I think if you were to ask him, and I hope you will have him on the show, he'll um, he'll tell you what a joy that series was to make. He was so good. But Momo, you guys, wasn't Momo the cutest ever? Oh. The little flying lemur? Of course. I loved love him. Momo. We love Appa. We love Pabu. We love Na. I mean, he is, I would hope, like fingers desperately crossed that when I came in for ADRD would be there. I was like, oh, please let our schedules align so that he will be there so that I can just watch him and that one of the things that's kind of fun about that is that ADR can be a little bit stressful because it is like you want to nail it and because right. you're doing you know fight sequences and falling and getting right. hit and all that kind of stuff and having him there was so distracting that you just <laughs> got out of your own head you had no time to worry about your own performance because it was just like captivating to watch D do his thing um, so entertaining what a genius so entertaining and and so dependable and and then he would also get the chance to see those strange creatures that the guys came up with for him that would be a I don't even know what some of those creatures were they were so enormous, many different like, creatures anteater snuffle thing I don't know what they were he <laughs> we're would come up with them. we're tracking tracking right? them. Yeah. yeah he would and that was something else I wanted to mention that character of June that shows up with the big snuffle thing and he's all about yeah. smell um that character the physical character uh design is based on a crew member on the staff at wow. Nickelodeon. And yeah. she looks just that. like that. She's yeah, remember absolutely Dante, stunning. Mike and Brian told us the whole, the, everything about June is like, the, the, oh, right. she's modeled after one person. The character mm -hmm. personality is modeled after someone else. The pet's name is modeled after something else. Uh, nice. Like It's amazing. I loved where they pulled their inspiration from, from their travels, from their history of their knowledge, the things that they've read, things that interested them. They, they made what a, a remarkable series, a truly remarkable series. We brought in little tiny kids to play the little tiny kids. Right. So they couldn't read yet. They would come in and they would go in that booth in Nickelodeon and they were so short they were below the microphone stand. I actually could just see the top of their heads. <laughs> and, and I would just you know, have to say to them, 
you know, okay, what well, do you know what your line is? Yes, tell me your line. I gotta pee. That was the line, <laughs> I gotta pee. Okay, so say it really loud. I gotta pee. Say it ten times louder. I gotta pee. And then say it a hundred times louder. And they go this much louder. I gotta pee. So cute, the little kids. I love recording with children. That made me really uh, happy. Yeah, I go, I go, I get, wow. I, I feel like we spent ten minutes talking about the kids who did, uh, Aang, don't leave, and oh, show no fear. <laughs> so, obsessed. yes, but so And those sweet. two, I looked them up, and they're not even doing voiceover anymore. No, I was like, oh, them- let's see, and they were like, they're adults now. Those guys yeah, are right, like, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to get them to do the voice for me. So, you know, just to see the difference. Because so, I was like, oh, that, that, that both broke my heart. If I could just hear their, the adult voices say it, I, my heart will be unbroken because they'll be like, show no fear. Well, I truly. Now, what did you think when you heard Zach Eisen speak when you watched that previous Avatar panel? Because he's a big old adult now. Well, we, and we also had him on the podcast. I'm so happy to say. Obviously, he's got an amazing career behind the camera now. He's only getting more and more renowned. But to be a person who is famous for a voice that you just no longer have, that's a specific situation to be in. Well, think about also, it explains why casting directors so often look for adult women to do boy voices. This is why Nancy Cartwright is going on 30 plus years of doing Bart right. Simpson. Right. They don't, their voices don't change. But this happens to me all the time. If I used to get um, resumes from actors and uh, kid actors and like 10 different kids had Charlie Brown listed as their, as a character they played because every, t- that's right at that voice break. It that's really like 10, is. 11 years right. old. So they could do it for one project and then their voice would crack and they could no longer sound like that. So the next kid comes in. So even though I saw 10 resumes, they all did play Charlie Brown. It's just they only did it for one project because the voices kept changing. And that's very hard. I had to do that with, you know, many characters where the voices changed and I had to find somebody to sound like the earlier version. So am I just going to kind of like sound like a 15 or 16 year old it's so cool. kid do for the rest of my ever, life? Do not it's ever going on. regret that. Yeah. That's so cool because you can pull it off as an adult as well. You don't sound like a kid. But look at Scott Mendel. Scott Mendel, I've yeah. worked with since he was 10 years old and he really hasn't changed his voice in, he's probably 45 now, but he can still do a teenage voice. And that's great. Hinden Walsh, he still sounds like a 13 year old. It's, it's, a, it's a bonus. It's a benefit. Yeah, agreed. Andre, you've really seen the whole world of voice acting change over the years. You've, you've seen the, the onslaught of what Comic-Con has done to like the voice acting world. Now, I mean, I, I meet kids now that want to come to Hollywood, not to become actors in Hollywood, but to become voice actors. And, and you start at a time in Hanna-Barbera in this time where it's, I explain like, voice acting was like this little corridor in Hollywood. Like their one agent at the office was doing this thing and, was, and a handful of people were doing it. And then now it's become this whole different animal where celebrities are wanting to get into the game. There's all these big Pixar, Disney films, series, and it's become this kind of cool thing. What do you feel about how it's changed over the last few decades? You're absolutely right, Dante. It's changed in an enormous way. It used to be almost insulting to be asked to do a voiceover. Oh, no, I don't. Is that what my career has come to? I have to do voiceover now? And this was like 50 years ago. And the only celebrities that I was aware of that had done voiceover seriously, when I first started doing cartoons, you guys weren't even thought about yet as far as being children, <laughs> um, was for the Flintstones, Anne Marg Rock, Anne Margaret, and Anne Stoney Margaret. Curtis. 
Tony Curtis, the only two actual celebrities who did their own voices on an animated project. And then nobody did any for a really long time. And and then it, it, it started to be like a big resurgence of cartoons. And a lot of that was caused, you guys, by the success of Roger Rabbit. Oh. Suddenly people started being, oh, yeah, cartoons are fun. I forgot. And then they started watching TV cartoons as well again. And, and then celebrities started saying, gee, my kids can't watch my work on CSI because it's bloody and realistic (laughs) and violent. But I would be the hero of the household if I get to go do an Animaniacs episode. Or if I can go home and say I was a Batman villain. Or if I can go, you know, work with Mako on Avatar. Whatever it was, that that opened up a huge door. And I used to keep a list, you guys, on a yellow um, legal pad of agents would call me and give me names of actors who said, I, I want to play in animation. One of the first ones, first calls I ever got like that would have been back in 19, maybe 90, 1990. When Mark Hamill called me and said, Ah. I hear you're making a a Batman thing and I'd like to be a part. No, really Mark Hamill. You want to, what? So I'll find something for you. But yeah, Joker. That list How about Joker? Just a little God, something. Yes, I'll find Joker. a little something. That's right. A little, little something. something. Well, you know, I brought him in first just to get off Avatar for one second. I brought him in first to play a guest role, and he did a great job, and he was wonderful. He was an evil. Uh, he was a, uh, an executive who we find out is the bad guy later, and and we finished the session. And he's telling all kinds of wonderful Star Wars stories, and he's so generous with the stories, and everybody's having a blast. And he pulls me over to the side, and he says. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I had so much fun, but I really want to be a part of the Batman series. And that's right when they came to me and said, we have to recast the Joker. And so it just worked out perfectly. It worked out perfectly. He had to ADR six or seven episodes of somebody else's performance as the Joker, somebody else's timing as the Joker. And then, of course, Mark Hamill played my dad, Fire Lord Ozai. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and just like that, we just pivoted right back to Avatar. Do you see that? You know, that wonderful story, Dante, I, you know, you forget where you learn about certain things in a series that takes three seasons of 20 stories each. I forgot where we learned about how you got that scar. And those episodes are devastating. Yeah, totally changed the character for me. They for are. Sure. It's just, you know, you, you know, this kid is bitter, you know, he's angry and you go, okay, he got that during the battle. No, his father just no. scarred him. And then you know, I tell the story all the time where you flippantly at one, we were, I think, Salami Studios and one, and I'm recording by myself that day. You know, it's usually like me, Jack and May. And I was like, oh, right, by right. myself. And then you're like, oh, and Mark's going to come to play your dad. And I'm like, okay. Oh, I can Mark tell Hamill. <laughs> Mark, I, I go. I go. It's like a rainy day in Burbank, and all of a sudden the door opens, and it's like mist walks in, and someone wearing all black kind of just floats in the room, and I'm like, "That's Mark Hamill." You just flippantly like Mark. Mark's gonna play your dad, and then we did the whole Agni Kai kind of scene where he scars me, and I'm like, "What? Wow. What's together, going on?" Because you had to work together. We had to work you together, know? and it's one of the most surreal moments of my life because it ultimately is the Vader. Luke's scene. Yes. Except yes. for I'm playing Luke and he's playing Vader and I was yes. it was and you're directing us and it was I mean he let, he like he floats out of the room on the mist at the end and then I'm just like I just crumple into the chair and I'm like <laughs> 
that was the most surreal moment. I don't of my remember life. that, but you, I'm very glad to hear you tell me that story. That makes me very happy. And wasn't he? Isn't he an incredibly generous actor? He's he amazing. gives you amazing. You, he gives you what you need. He hears you. He acts to your acting. You know, he's not like I'm going to do what I do and you just match me. He's like, let me no. find out what's going on here. And let I me love play. Mark Hamill. He's such an amazing actor. Talking, and, of course, about Star Wars. Talking about. Uh, Amadeus on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. He's always there with his newspaper. I did a gig when he always has that newspaper, old school with a, like the L.A. New York Times Reading. in his hands. I know, I know. And Nothing he's electronic. Just, he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Now, I mean, I went to a party and he's like, Dante, I was like, Luke Skywalker knows who I am. Oh, isn't that something? I know. I, know. I, I, I remember when we, did, so bad. when we did the Cora rap party. Staying Eva Marie Saint is looking oh for you. Oh my God, Eva yeah. Marie Saint. Yeah. Yeah. Eva Marie Saint is looking for. <laughs> Can you just say that two or three more times, please? No. Okay. I mean, these people are yeah. Marco. Marco. When I did Cora, she was sitting. She was sitting across the table from me during the table read, and I had to go talk to her at the break. Like I grew, we're watching, you know, on the waterfronts. Like I watched it a thousand times. It's really been a part of my whole Truly. thing as an actor. I mean, it's, right. it was amazing. You inspired me. So many of these people, and Marco, bless him. Oh. What a Stunning, wonderful actor. What a perfectly cast role for him. And, you know, I love the humor in this show. It it could get too bogged down if it didn't have the humor. Right, yeah. Just the silliness of that lightens that moment so everything isn't so grim. Beautiful, beautiful. I love Mako. You know, he played my my father and my uncle several times in my career. I love that. I didn't know that. to, To do his last project with him was really special and he would you know i think the first time i worked with him with he, i was 12 and so wow. he really had to be like my uncle he was uncle iro through my career someone that sure. i kind of always went back to and on sets and acted advice and we would talk about oh we would love to play these characters on screen together because it was we just had a great rapport and i do remember you directing him in so many different episodes but definitely when he's singing the song oh. when he's singing oh. Leaves from a vine, and he was kind of nervous about singing it. And he's like looking at me, and I'm like, I, you know, and you're directing him through singing. He's like, I'm gonna sing it. And I'm like, go he for did it. Great. And he sings it. And, he sings it. and it's, it's a legendary song now. It's so amazing. And I would say there's a vulnerability to it that Absolutely. kind of his nervousness, like made baked in by accident, that just makes you love Uncle Iroh even more, you know, because See? there's this like yes. sweetness to the singing. The day he had to do that session, he came in and told us how he had absolute stage fright when he was supposed to go on on Broadway. Um, it wasn't Miss Saigon, was it? What was the Broadway? No, it was uh, it's uh, Pacific. Um, but Pacific Overtures. Overtures, right? Pacific yeah. Overtures, and he has like the opening song. And he was with Sondheim and terrified. And I said, I promise you, this is going to be a lot easier. I'm not nearly so much pressure. And we have lots of retakes that we can do. But, you know, we were so lucky to get those brilliant performances. When he would, you know, he had so much humor in his role. Yeah. But there was so much serious information and so much down-to-earth wisdom that he had to impart. And he did such a good job of of that balancing act of being funny and also this is what we must do you know fantastic fantastic that's another question i have as far as voice acting goes is because you know of course the best is when we're all in the studio together and of course the first mm-hmm. few seasons mm-hmm. first we were doing that as much as we can and then 
life happens and you know we're all shooting projects i did a whole film in toronto for a bunch of months and right and now acting with you and having to do a lot of these scenes and you're pretty much the person i'm acting with to kind of right. get the character and i'm like she has to memorize what Sokka did and what may did and what mako did and then she's feeding it back to me and, and she's sewing our performances together and mm. some of them were like really heavy crazy performances and yeah that's when i really started understanding you know the brilliance of of voice directing and you know i'm very thankful as an actor to kind of get that as we're doing a lot of these things i'm like she has to have mapped out the whole episode and now she's feeding me whoever whatever they did or they're, she's going to feed them whatever I'm doing right, right, right. now. Without I, doing I, an impression, crazy. because that would Without be hugely distracting and like too cartoonish to use the appropriate term, I guess. But right. yeah, you never, it was never like, oh, I can't take you seriously because you're doing this impression of, of PJ <laughs> or whatever, you know? It was right. like you're finding the meat of it that, that ends up giving that, you know, echoing that performance so right. that so that you get what you need back. But that's also a really tough skill. I don't know why I had an innate sense of what a, a um, vocal track should sound like for a cartoon. Maybe because I watched so many cartoons as a kid, maybe because of my own theatrical background. But I, I, when I would prep a script, I knew what it was supposed to sound like. I, unless there was something really bizarre and strange, I knew what would work and what wouldn't. And so I would always let the actors do what they wanted to do because you get such organic, wonderful uh, contributions to a project when you allow for that. But I also make sure I got the one that I knew in my head would work no matter what. So when I read in to you, Dante, for example, I would read something that I know would work. So if you had to talk to your underling, whoever you were pissed off on the ship at that time, I would try to emulate whatever it was that they had to give you for you to lose it to them, you know, uh, sir, we seem to have lost the avatar. You what? You know, if I could make that character not just read in, I could actually read it into you in some way that you could react, which is such a big part of acting, reacting. Right. Yeah. Then, then I was doing my job. Then I could, you know, I could say, sir, we uh, lost the avatar and then you could give me something that would respond to that right um and then we also as you guys remember we had the benefit of adr which is kind of fixing any of your mistakes that you screwed up on the first time through right when when everything is cut together and for whatever reason we thought the scene was going to be played much closer together and they put you clear across the deck of the ship so now everything has to be recorded like that <laughs> so that it makes sense in the dynamic and stuff but we did have yeah. to do that or the opposite somebody is shouting and they're standing right next to the other character okay let's bring that down those <laughs> <laughs> well we'd love to get we'd love to kind of dip into some sort of playful uh putting our uh, our imagination caps on Ooh, for yeah. a second as we okay. both dive into the avatar verse i'm curious like okay you can't play this character but is there another character in the avatar verse that you think it would be fun to voice pretending that you know someone can't do it and that's it, just not going to happen. Is there, right. is there a character or their characters that you sort of think, oh, if I had the voice for it or if I were a dude or, you know, whatever, <laughs> like this is what would be really fun for me, Andrea Romano. You know, General, who ultimately became, I think, Lieutenant Zhao, the bad guy. Yeah. The bad guys are fun to play. Yeah. You know, they give you lots to dig into. And there's that wonderful sort of calmness that you can do. And then you just bite 
I, I thought that was a great character, really, Zhao. That, and I love, the, I love that Jason question Isaacs. because you, you're allowing us to choose male characters as well, and that would be Well, fantastic. that's all I ever What did you guys say? What were your answers? I don't know. Azula. Azula. I'd play Azula. Azula's a good one. I was going to say, I probably said Amon because that was, as yeah, a yeah. kid, all I was interested in. Right. I wasn't the little girl who went and played football because no one right. wanted me to, but I was definitely the kid who was like, I'm going to dress up as the man in black from The Princess Bride. Thank you very much for Halloween. Excellent. I mean, yeah, great. And Azula, isn't it amazing that Azula doesn't even come in till the second season? I know. I, I know, I, I keep waiting. I'm like, yeah. At the end of the yeah. first season, they like give her a little sneak peek. But then right, which doesn't talk. We see her. We see her so glad that dad's going to scar you. Isn't that what we're seeing here? What an intro. No kidding. Yeah. So I, you didn't know this was coming. I, I do have a very dumb, intentionally dumb, fun game. It's our segment we like to call Cannon Fodder. Canon, C-A-N-O-N, Canon Indeed. Fodder. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a multiple choice uh, quiz of just one question uh, of you telling us which of the following is true. Which of the following is true? This is Avatar canon. A. The cabbage merchant is a firebender in disguise. B. Mike grew up with someone whose last name really was Pippin Patalopsicopolis. C. Avatar Roku's spirit animal is a dragon. Or D. Playing Ozai was Mark Hamill's first voiceover job. (laughs) I think C. You're right. You're right. It happened <laughs> to be right. It could have been any one of them, but it happens to be numbers. Don't Letter you just C. love that name, though? Pips and Paps Alopagopolis or whatever that was. Pip and Paps Alopagopolis. I don't know why that is so he was easy great. for me to say. He was great. I it, love <laughs> that name so much. And it that made me laugh every time. And they say it's so, so good. You know, well, they, yeah, I'm because, sure we worked on it for a long time, but it so came very good. typically off the tongue. Yeah, when, when May, had May drops it. it. When May drops it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's clear that Zach is, you know, that Aang is thinking of it as he's had. But then she just ju- jumps up and is like, hi, June Pip and Pat Alopagopolis. You're like, oh, <laughs> That is gorgeous. That is a gorgeous so moment. So um, uh, Dante, would you like to ask some of these uh, yes. elemental questions that we always like to ask? Well, we Can always you? ask all our guests, what Can kind of bender would you would you be? Oh, airbender. Airbender, airbender. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Just there's so much that can be done with that and fun as well as force. That's what I like about it. Fun as well. That makes a lot of sense. Andrea, this has been such a thrill and just so delightful. And any excuse to see you and hear your voice and talk about old times and for me to get to hear about, you know, times that I wasn't even a part of that I'm such a massive fangirl of. What a tremendous joy. Thank you. Thank you. This was heaven. I've been excited for a week since I know I was going to do it. I was like, I'm going to watch episodes and I'm going to get to talk about a show that I love so much. It really was something I look forward to and a reason to, you know, put on makeup and clothes that have zippers on them because that's what (laughs) happens. Well, Andrea, I love you. I miss you. It's so wonderful to just hang out with you. Best of luck with this, you guys. It's really interesting you what you're so doing, much. and I'm really proud of you. And you're my children. You are. You're yeah, my children. I know. We Thank you like for it. not giving me stretch marks. <laughs> <laughs> you're so welcome. Thanks for listening, everybody. And I cannot wait for next week where we have our friend, comedian, gamer, Ify Wadway, to recap the waterbending scroll. It is going to be a fun one. We'll see everybody next Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.